And today I want to talk to you specifically about rethinking your identity. Some of you, when you got up this morning, you groggily stumbled out of bed, dragged your feet over to a mirror, and you looked in the mirror, and you thought, wow, I look rough. Because a mirror is a reflection of what you see externally. A mirror tells you something about what you look like. But there's something deeper happening behind the mirror thing. Sometimes behind the mirror, it's not just what you see, it's the identity that you perceive that's important. Here's what I know about some of you. I know that one out of every four women in North America struggles with an eating disorder. That means that she perceives herself in such a way that she will go to bulimia or anorexia or there's multiple eating disorders because what she sees in the mirror she does not like. Do you realize that what you see doesn't always tell you the reality of your identity? For example, anorexia. Anorexia is a disease in which a person feels like they're too fat. And so they will typically work out in extreme ways and eat very little. And extreme anorexia or progressive anorexia a young lady, it can affect men or women, but primarily women, a woman will be skin and bones, almost a skeleton, and when she looks in the mirror, she says to herself, I'm too fat. Now the reality is she's on starvation mode, but in her mind, she thinks, I'm too fat. And there's women that literally will starve themselves to death because when they look at the mirror, the, in their mind, they do not see what the mirror is telling them. They have an identity of being overweight, but in reality, the mirror is telling them something else because what the image that you have in your mind is more powerful than the image that you see in the mirror. That's called identity. Identity. Now, I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror. I don't know if you look in the mirror and you despise what you see. I don't know if you look in the mirror and you see shame. But here's what I know, that the way that you see yourself affects the way you look at yourself in the mirror, but it also affects the way you relate to people. If you view yourself as someone that's failed and someone that is worth very little and someone that has shame in your life, then when you walk into a room like this, you will relate to other people in a shameful way. In other words, you'll be insecure about who you are because no matter who you're around, you look at yourself and say, I'm less than they are. If you look at yourself with pride, then no matter what room you walk into, you'll think I'm better than they are. Because your identity, your identity, how you see yourself, determines how you relate to the people that are around you. 
And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3. He's talking about the identity of a believer and how it affects our life and the people that we relate to. And so I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, the third chapter of Colossians. Your new identity is, so, is such a powerful force that God wants to use it to reshape your life and your relationships. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 4 says, or verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which, are, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Christ is in all. Word of the Lord. I want to talk to you about four things that you need to grasp or four things that identity will do to transform you when you grasp it. Are you with me? I got a lot of stuff to cover. I'm going to teach you. It's a hard teaching. Some of you are going to squirm under it. Sometimes the word makes us squirm. If, if every time you go to church, you just feel good and you never squirm, then the preacher's not preaching all of the word. He's just preaching the encouraging parts. The word of God should make us squirm at times. Sometimes we should say amen, and sometimes we should say ouch. ouch. Yeah, how about it? Okay, so here we go. Your new identity is a powerful force that's used to reshape your life, and there's four things that I want you to understand about new identity. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Your new identity requires you to see life and others from a new dimension or from a new perspective. The first two chapters of Colossians, which the Apostle Paul wrote to a city that was called Colossae, the first chapter has to deal with the supremacy of Christ. In the first chapter, the Apostle Paul keeps talking about how great Christ is. He's bigger than angels, bigger than life. He's bigger than anything on earth. It's the supremacy of Christ. He's the, he's the image of the invisible God. There is no one like him. He's above everything else in life. The second chapter of Colossians, the apostle Paul talks to them about heresies and wrong doctrines that they're believing 
and talks to them about the fact that they cannot be sucked in to moralism or religion, but they need to base their relationship on Christ. The third chapter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul now talks to us about the practicalities of what it means to live our new identity in Christ. And so he tells them a couple of things that are really important to grasp. Number one, he says, since then, since Christ is above all, and since you need to be living your life in Christ, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Since you have been raised with Christ, we have been raised with Christ? Think about that for a moment. The Bible tells us that Christ was crucified, he died, he was buried, he rose on the what? On the third day, and then what happens after his resurrection? He what? He ascended into heaven. Death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The disciples watched as Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, and Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of his Father. The right hand is the position of power. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. It tells us in Scripture that he's above principality, power, death, sickness, disease. There's nothing that is greater than Christ because he's at the right hand of the Father. Now, Paul tells us that spiritually, he says, you also have been raised with Christ. That means that whatever happened to Christ also happened to us spiritually. We also, have, we also were crucified. You say, I don't remember being crucified. That's because physically you have not been crucified, but spiritually your old man has been crucified, put to death. Your old man, the old self, the old you, was buried. Baptism shows us that your new self, your new self washed and cleansed, has been resurrected. And now, spiritually, we positionally also have been raised and we are with Christ at the right hand of the Father spiritually. What does that mean to us? Well, it means a couple of things. He says, it means, number one, that we are to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So it means that we have a different value system. Set your hearts on things above. When you start living from a spiritual perspective in which you have an identity that's different, you'll start valuing different things. When you set your heart on things that are above, it means that the things that are on earth are of less value. How many of you know that we get sucked into the earthly value system? It's really easy to start valuing things that have really little value. Do you know that everything on earth is going to burn and dissolve and go away? I have never seen 
I have never seen a funeral car carrying a U-Haul behind it. Never. Because we take nothing with us. None of it will go with us. And in the end, it all deteriorates. It all burns. It all falls apart. It all turns to dust. But so many of us get so consumed in things that really do not matter in life. Oh, I know you just got that new car. Oh, it's sweet looking. You polish it every other day. It still, it still has that new car smell when you walk inside. You know, you sit down and you think, aha, this is a beauty. It makes you feel better about yourself, doesn't it? You drove that little old rusty thing for a while. Now that new car you like to drive in the neighborhood, roll down your window and say, hey, it's me. Because it makes you feel like, hey, me is my car. My car and I are one together. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, when you get that new car... You park way in the other side of the parking lot so no car will park beside you and ding you. Because you know all these people that open the car ding your car a little bit. When your kid drops a Cheeto in the back seat, you have a fit over it. I can't believe it. Oh, a Cheeto in my car. And The truth is, that you could get all bent out of shape over that car, but that car within a few years will devalue, will have rust spots, will have dings in it, and is worth eternally very little value. We get caught up in the things of the world, caught up in earthly things that we put high value upon, but, but what the Apostle Paul is saying is you have a new identity, so you need to th- see things from a new perspective. What really should matter in life are things that have eternal value. Things that last. And scripture tells us there's only two things that last forever. One, our people's souls last forever. And secondly, is the word of God, it lasts forever. Everything else will fall apart, will burn, will go to dust. Only two things have eternal value on earth, and it's people and the Word of God. And so what the Apostle Paul says, from this new perspective, you need to set your hearts on things that are above where Christ is seated and start start to take on new values instead of being consumed with the values of the world. Number two, not only are you to set your heart, but set your minds on things that are above. So we need to value different In verse 2, set your minds on things that are above and not earthly things, and we need to think different. We need to start setting our minds on things above means focus on eternal rather than temporal. Our new thinking comes from the understanding of our new position. And then he goes on and tells us this. For you died... And your life is now hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear. I want you to listen to me because this is huge. Many of us as believers, we value the same things that our neighbors value, and we think the way that our neighbors think. And God is saying, you're different. Value things different. Think different than the world. Do you, do you remember what Jesus said about what we value? Jesus said, where our heart is or where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Do you remember that verse? 
It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me ask you a question. Where's your treasure? Because when I find your treasure, I'll find your heart. Whatever you value the most in life is where your heart will be. You'll be into it. If someone's into their job, then their heart's going to be there. They treasure it. That's what they're going to think about, talk about, value, celebrate. When a couple starts dating and the guy's really into his girlfriend and she's really into him, then they talk about it all the time. She'll say, oh, it's been so long since I talked to you. Yeah, it was 15 minutes ago. <laughs> what are you doing now? What are you eating? Oh, miss you, love you, kiss you. Can't wait to see you again. They're just into each other, into each other because their heart is there. They value that, so they're super into each other because they, their heart is there, so their treasure's there, and they value it. Fast forward 20 years later into marriage. No, I'm not going to go there. If it's a good marriage, they'll be more into it. If it's a bad marriage, things change quite a bit. But if your heart is in the things of God, by the way, into spiritual things, someone shouldn't have to drag you to church on Sunday morning. Some of you came hungry for the word. Man, I can't wait to get there, get into the word. I got my Bible. I got my notes. I want to worship. Let me get there early so I can get a parking lot, not miss one part of the worship song. I want to stay there. Jesus, talk to me. And you're like, I'm ready because your heart is in the spiritual things. You're wanting to grow, learn, because your heart is in spiritual matters. And then others. Do I have to go this morning? I can watch Pastor Mark on live stream. I hope he doesn't go over time, because last week, you know, he went over like 15 minutes. What does he think? That we have all day? Because when your heart is into something, your treasure's there. Whatever you treasure, your heart is into. What you don't treasure, your heart is not into. What the Apostle Paul is telling the Colossian believers is that now that you have a new identity, the things that you valued before, you should not value like you valued before. Because you have a new identity, you are followers of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High God. You operate at a different way of living. Your mind does not live here. It's halfway there, halfway here. Your values are different. Your heart is different. Your language is different. Your lifestyle is different. You have a new identity, so now... You need to take the perspective of that new identity that you have in God, and it will change the way you are. And he says, by the way, your old self, look at what it says in verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ in God. You died. The Apostle Paul says of us that we died. Now, does that sound strange to you that he refers to us as having died? Well, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that the old you died. The old you, when you came to Christ, has been put to death, crucified, died. When you go into the waters of baptism, we celebrate that. 
that the old you that was following the flesh and the earth and living, accord, living like the culture's living, that that old self is dead, put to death, no longer alive, no voice, no walk, no influence, put to death. When we come out of the waters of baptism, it's a sign that our new self has been resurrected now. And let me, let me just explain a little bit what happens. And this is, goes into a little bit the theology of rebirth. When you come to God, not to religion, but when you come to God, and you surrender your life to Christ, and you say, I understand the gospel finally, the good news that Jesus died on a cross, being all God and all man, and he died because I needed a way to God, and there's no other way to get to God except through the cross of Jesus. And I surrender my life to him as Lord and Savior, and I believe, repent, and I'm willing to take the step of believer's baptism. Then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, comes and invades my body, and I am now born again. The old has gone and the new has come. The moment that happens in my life, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You may look, you may get up and look at yourself and say, well, I look the same. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit doesn't do liposuction, but he does do, yeah, but he does do Holy Spirit soul transformation. So you may look the same on the outside, but inside something Something irrevocable has happened. You have now become what the Bible calls a new creation, born again, transformed, sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will never go back to who you used to be. You can try to fight it. You can try to resist it. But you will never go back to who you used to be. Because you are sealed unto the day of redemption by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sealed. That means that until Jesus comes again, you've been sealed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit until God. Salvation has come through the Holy Spirit who changes you from the inside out. Now, what died inside of you when you came to Christ? Well, you were born with a sin nature. Adam handed that down to you. Every person born since the beginning of creation, since the fall of man, has been born through the seed of man. And you have a fallen nature. That means that when you're old enough, you are predisposed to sin. You have the predisposition to sin because you have a fallen nature. No one has to teach you to sin. You naturally know how to sin because that's your nature. That's, that's your inherited nature. Sin is instinctive to your character. Put a person in an ideal environment, put a person in a perfect world, the most perfect world we can engineer on the face of this earth, put him on an island where there's no television programs that pollute him, where there's no bad influences and in people around. We sometimes think that we are fallen because our society has fallen and influences us, but evil lies within us. It's called the total depravity of man. We are broken, dark, with a sinful nature passed down to us through the seed of man. If you were put on a perfect island with little influences, 
you would still grow up and you would have the proclivity to sin, to go against God. Why? Because it's inside of you. It's part of your nature. It's the fallen nature, the sinful nature. Every human being that's been born down through the generation has inherited a sinful nature. You do not need salvation because your nature is sinful. You need salvation because you act on your nature and you sin. You are condemned not because you have a sinful nature. You're condemned because you sin. Now, what Paul tells us is you died when you came to Christ. What died? What died was your sinful nature, the old you. By the way, I've told you this before, but the reason that Jesus is compared to the second Adam, he's called the second Adam in Scripture, and the reason he had to be born through a virgin was that the seed of man did not impregnate Mary. It was God himself that allowed Mary to be pregnated so that Jesus was born without the sinful nature. He had to bypass the normal procreation process so that Jesus would not be like every human being on the face of this earth with a sinful nature. Jesus was born without a sinful nature. The Son of God could have no sin in him. And he became the second Adam and became that perfect lamb of sacrifice that died for you and I. But the Bible says here that for you died and your life is hidden in Christ. What he's saying is that when you come to Christ, your sinful nature is put to death by the power of God. So now, the moment that you become born again, you receive a new nature, the new person. The old nature has been put to death. You have a new nature but, the, but two of those natures struggle with one another. We have the flesh and we have the spirit. And the Apostle Paul is telling them, since you, have a, since you are a new creation, I want you to start to live out your new identity that you have in Christ. Number two. I'm talking about what it means to take on a new identity. Number two. Your new identity will cause you to die to the behaviors of your lower nature. Notice what it tells us in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. The Apostle Paul is saying, you already died to your old self, so stop living like your old self. Some of you have died to your old self, but you've taken the habits of your old lifestyle into your new life. And although you're a believer, you still talk like when you were a non-believer. And although you've been baptized, you still have taken some of the habits of your old life and brought them into your new life. And although you've been washed by God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, you're saved, destined for glory, part of the, part of the people of God, sealed under the day of redemption. You've been called a son or daughter of God, but yet you've taken some of the habits that you developed before you were a believer and you bring them into the new life and now you've mixed the old habits with the new life and you're trying to live this weird thing called the new life with the old habits. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so the Apostle Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The word put to death means to mortify, literally, to make a corpse of, to make dead, 
to execute, to put to death. So the Apostle Paul says, I want you to put to death the habits and behaviors that belonged in your old life and don't bring them into your new life. It's the idea of pruning. My house has an old tree next to it, and sometimes there's dead branches on that old tree. I look at the branches and I realize there's no life in that branch, even though it's connected to the tree. And if you leave old branches on trees, they sap the energy and life of the tree. And so you need to engage in a process called pruning. Pruning is the cutting off of the old, the dead, that which has no fruit to it, so that that which can have fruit gets all the elements of life in it. What God is saying is that some of us, we are truly born again, but we have dead branches on us that we brought in from the old life, and he says, cut them off. You say, well, what are those dead branches? Well, he says, okay, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, and the apostle Paul says, that used to be you, but that's not you anymore. Leave it behind. Leave what behind? Well, let me go over it again. Sexual immorality. Okay, let me talk to you for a minute. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual activity involvement outside of a marriage relationship. Sexual immorality means that if you get involved sexually in a dating couple, sexually um, outside of marriage, if you're not married and you're sexually involved with another individual, that's called sexual immorality. The Bible says that has no, that, that has no place in the life of a believer. That was the old you, but it's not the new you. Now, let me, let me explain it a little bit more because I don't think you're totally grasping it. We live in a culture that by and, by and large says... I have a physical appetite. If I'm hungry, I eat. I have a sexual appetite. If I'm hungry sexually, I go out and satisfy my sexual appetite. We have taken, we have taken morality out of sexuality and made sexual involvement what amoral, amoral, which means there's no morality attached to it. So if you're in college these days and um, you understand that there's a bunch of hookups, friends with benefits. That means that I don't know you, you don't know me, I barely know you, but I have a sexual urge, and so we go to a party, and when we're together, and I'm not your boyfriend, you're not my boyfriend, but I give you sexual favors just because it feels good to do it, and see you later, we're not involved, and I don't want anything from you. That's called friends with benefits. Or you may have a boyfriend or a girlfriend in this place, and we have a lot of people that come to Christ, and by and large, we're reaching people from our culture, and so I would assume that we have people in this auditorium right here today that you're starting to come to church, but you live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you've been having sex for years, or you may have two or three or four children, and you've been together for 15 years, and you say, Pastor, what does that mean for me? 
It means that if you've been together for 15 years and have four children and are not married, that you are living in sexual immorality. Whoa, did it get quiet in the house of God. You say, Pastor, well, what do I do about that? Well, what you do about it is you marry the woman. Four kids later, what are you waiting for? Well, pastor, I just want a really nice wedding, and it costs a lot. I'm saving up money. Marry her. Seriously. And by the way, if, you're, if you have kids and you're not married, and you're in that same house together, and you're planning on getting married, I'm not going to ask you to move out, but I would say couch it until you get married. Say couch it? Yeah, that means sleep on the couch until you get married. Now I'm going to see a lot of people saying, Pastor, when do you have your calendar open? I want to get married as soon as I can. You see, that's the way it works. So what, what Scripture's telling us is that that used to be the way you lived. And by the way, I know that there's someone in here, you're 24 years old, and you're like rolling your eyes in your mind thinking, are you serious, Pastor? I'm 23 years old, and you're telling me that I can't have sex or be involved sexually until I'm married? Yeah. I didn't write it. I just preach it. And you're saying, hold on. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And you're telling me, hold on. I'm not going to be ready to get married till I'm 30. I mean, i got to finish my job, get a career, get my car, get an apartment. Are you seriously telling me, Pastor, that for seven years I'm not going to be able to have sex of any kind? Is that what you're telling me? Yes. You say, well, I don't know what world you live in, Pastor. But, you know, I'm, I mean, this is the world of reality. Come on. No, listen. I'm telling you that in your power, you probably can't do it. But this life cannot be done in the power of the flesh. We have to do it in the supernatural power of God. With, on your own power, you can't do it. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. Because let me tell you something. Men and women, 16, 17, 20-year-olds, your body, if you come to Christ, your body is the dwelling place, the temple, the housing place of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Tell the person beside you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he says, that's what you used to do. Sexual immorality, impurity, has to do with anything in between. It has to do with pornography. It has to do with satisfying your sexual urges outside of the confines of marriage. Lust has to do with looking at things that you can't have, but sexually desiring those things that you can't have. And impurity has to do with anything in between as well. And let me just clarify things, because I run into some people that think, well, as long as I don't have intercourse, it's okay. We really haven't had sex. Sexual involvement it isn't just intercourse. If you're having oral sex with an individual thinking that that's okay because I'm not having intercourse, that's still sexual involvement called impurity there. 
In other words, any kind of sexual involvement that you have outside of marriage is under the category of sexual impurity or lust or evil desires, or he puts it in the category of greed and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of what? Because of our out-of-control sexual gratification, he says the wrath of God is coming. Well, what does it mean the wrath of God is coming? It means that much of our society has this image of God that we've created into our own image. And some of you have an image of God like he's this big old jolly Santa Claus, ho, 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 that's just going to look at whatever you do and say, oh, don't worry about it. We're all humans. It's no big deal. I'm full of love and mercy and compassion, and we all mess up. Ho, ho, ho. Come here and give me a big hug on my big belly. That's Santa Claus, not the sovereign God of the universe. God is love, and he is mercy, and he is compassionate. But the Bible tells us that the wrath of God would consume humanity because of his holiness. In fact, it tells us in the end that the wrath of God is coming. In Romans, it says the wrath of God, this incredible, ferocious wrath, comes upon the children of disobedience. In other words, we have violated the most holy God with our sin, and we deserve the wrath of God, the punishment of God, this powerful, consuming fire to be unleashed upon us because of our sin against the holy God. It tells us, however, that God restrains his wrath because of his mercy and his compassion, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you remember when the people of Israel were being set free from Egypt? The last of the seven plagues was the angel of death went through the streets of Egypt and took the life of the firstborn of every Egyptian family. Do you remember that story? It was the wrath, this angel of death. And so God spoke to the people of Israel and he said, if you want to escape the wrath, this death, there's only one thing that you do. You need to take a lamb that's without spot. Slaughter that lamb and with the blood of that lamb, you need to spray the doorpost of your house with the blood of that lamb. And when the angel of death goes through the streets when he sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house. He will pass over, pass over that household and you will not be subject to death like the rest. The Israelites to this day, people in Judaism celebrate the Passover where the angel of death passes over because the blood on the doorpost. Jesus, when he celebrated the Last Supper, brought in the equivalent of the Last Supper to Christians. We don't celebrate the Passover, but we celebrate the Last Supper. The Last Supper says, Jesus' blood and body were broken for me. It's because of his blood shed upon my life that the wrath of God does not consume me, 
Because when the wrath of God can consume me, he, says, he sees the righteousness of God imputed to me, the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ that's paid the price. And so when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus in me when I've accepted him. That is the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ, Son of God, who pays the sins of humanity. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 7, I love this verse, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. What ways? Immorality, impurity, lust, greed. That used to be you. You were in the middle of it. That was your life. That's who you were. But listen, that's not who you are today. You say, well, Pastor, I'm a believer and I still sleep with my boyfriend. Listen, because you're not living out your identity. You brought an old habit into a new life, and that is not you. You are a son of the Most High God. You're not living out who you are because if you started to live in who you are, you would start letting go of your old life and say, that is no longer who I am. It's what I was. It's not who I am. I need to put to death the ways of my old life and embrace my new life in Jesus Christ. Some of us need to do that. Amen? You need to kill the old nature is what the Word of God says. Put to death. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. I've used this before. Let me say it again. Putting off the old nature is like marrying your wife, but keeping pictures of your old girlfriend in your wallet. How many of you wives would be okay with that? I love you, honey. Oh, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm just keeping the picture of my old girlfriend in my pocket. Just, I don't know. For old memory's sake. Seriously? And let me tell you, how do you put to death the, the, the deeds of the old flesh? Because some of you are here and believers and you're struggling with your old life. You're not living your new life in Jesus. You're new, you're saved, you're born again. The Spirit's inside of you, but you're living under conviction. Nothing more miserable than a believer that's still living the old life, but following God because they're constantly under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not able to have the full joy of their salvation. David said in Psalms 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Some of you are believers but have no joy because it's been stolen by the fact that your behaviors are the behaviors of the old life and you constantly feel conviction by the Holy Spirit. In fact, some of you come to church and you feel conviction. And I've seen some people, you either have one or two choices when you come to church and you feel conviction, you finally repent and say, God, I'm tired of fighting you. I'm going to surrender. Or you stop coming around because you don't want to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There are people today that instead of being in the house of God, 
are avoiding the house of God because they don't want to be under the conviction that they feel when they come to the house of God. Listen, if you're a believer and you don't feel conviction anymore, then that's a scary thing. If you're a believer and you still can feel conviction, then thank, praise be to God that you feel nasty about the way you're living. It means there's still a degree of sensitivity in your heart driving you to the foot of the cross. Number three. Paul goes on to say, your new identity compels you to shed the relational manipulation of the old self. Verse 8, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. First of all, Paul talks about sexual sins, which is behavioral sins. And now he talks to us about attitude sins. Some of us have cleaned up the outside really well. You're no longer doing things that you know are obviously wrong on the outside. But when you open up your heart, there's all kinds of gook and garbage on the inside. It's more acceptable. It's harder to see. It's like when you find out that relatives are coming over at the last minute. They're going to be here in 15 minutes. You run through the house. You're throwing everything in the closet and in the pantries, in the drawers. You have pajamas in your kitchen drawers because you're stuffing everything wherever it will go. And it looks good from the outside to the neighbor that walks in. But if you do a thorough investigation of the house and you start opening up the drawers, it's all full of clutter. Some of us have cleaned up the outside of our heart, but you know, outside of our life from the behaviors, but you open up, well, you open up the inside and we got wrath, and bitterness and envy, rage. It's the stuff of the heart that God wants to deal with. And so the apostle Paul says, hey, I'm not just talking about the external things, but you also need to rid yourself of anger. Rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Most scholars believe that this filthy language is not talking dirty, but in the context, it's talking abusively to other people, belittling people. And do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices. All of these things have in common that they are attitudes that we have that we use to manipulate people and get our way. Do you know why you lie? To get your way. Do you know why you blow up in anger? To get your way. Do you know why you throw a fit? Throw pit doors and throw pans around? Because you want to get people's attention and get your way. It's a form of manipulating our relationships. And Paul says, that's the old you, it's not the new you. You may be manipulated people in the past that way, but God has asked you to take off, take off the old self with its practices and to put on the new self that's being changed, transformed. From place to place. You know, I heard there's a custom among some African churches 
that when they get baptized, they take their old clothes and they burn them. And then they put a new white robe on and show their new position in Christ. I like it. They take off their old clothes when they're going to get baptized and put on a new robe and they burn their old clothes. And it's symbolic of this old stuff is gone. I'm never going back to it. And I put on a new robe and this is who I am in Christ. And this is how I'm going to live in God. Number four, and lastly, your new identity leads you to put on your new self being continually renewed in his image. Verse 10. You've taken off, he says in verse 9, so you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. I love that image. Take off the old self, put on the new self. Tell the person beside you, put on the new self. Put on the new self. This is who I am today. I'm not who I was yesterday. People see you. Some of you have walked in this church and you've seen people that you knew from 10 years ago. And you say, oh, look at that. There's druggy." Some of you had some pretty interesting nicknames. There's killer. You know, that's who you were. That was your old identity. And I love the fact that when someone comes in and they, they, maybe their name was Druggy in the past, you say, hey, Druggy, how you doing? Hi, my name is Brother John now. I love that. That's who I was before, but I got a new name, a new identity. That's not who I am anymore. That's the old me. I've taken off the old self and I put on the new self. And this is what he says listen, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. You and I have put on the new self. symbolic of the new self. And it's something that you have to put on. You say, hey, I've come to Christ, so I'm, I'm going to put on the new self. Yeah. It makes me look a little bit different. But it's the new self. And it doesn't change by just putting on the new self now that I'm in the new self, I have to be changed day after day after day after day. It doesn't end at the day of your salvation when you put on the new self. It's only the beginning of your transformation. Some of you came to Christ and it's like you stopped. No, no, no. That's just the beginning of renewal. Look what it says. And you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. That word being renewed is the word to renovate. It means to tear out the old and to put something new in. That word knowledge in the Greek is the word unto perfection of knowledge. You know what it's telling us? That you and I were made in the image of God. But when we fell, 
We fell far from the image of God. And now God is renewing us day after day so that we will look more like the image of our Father. What does our Father look like here on earth? Yeah. The, the visible manifestation of the image of our Father is his first begotten Son called Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. You and I are being renewed into the image of Jesus day after day. I'm not talking about the physical image of Jesus because we don't know what Jesus looked like. You say, well, Pastor, I did, I saw a movie. No, 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 you don't know what he looks like. So don't come in here wearing sandals, long hair and a beard and saying, I'm trying to be like Jesus. No, it's not about how you look on the outside. It's about who you are on the inside. You're being transformed day by day by day into the image of Jesus, the Son of God, to have his compassion and his mercy and his heart and his surrender to the Father. You have not arrived Just because you pay your tithes, don't sleep with your girlfriend. Don't lie and walk little old ladies across the street. You have not arrived until you are like Jesus. If you're already like Jesus, 100% walking that way, then you're free to leave at this moment because you don't need my message anymore. For the rest of us, let's stay And work out our own salvation with fear and trembling until we look like the image of Jesus in our life. And I close with this. In verse 11, he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In essence, he's saying it doesn't matter who you are, what age you are, what color you are, what social status, we are all being transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus. So it doesn't matter if you're 15 here or 84. It doesn't matter if you're Mexican or Puerto Rican. That just determines whether you like arroz con gandules or carne asada. But it doesn't determine whether you're black or white, whether you're Asian, whether you grew up on the south side or north side, whether you're a Cubs fan or a Sox fan. We are all being transformed into the beautiful, powerful, manifest presence of Jesus if we allow it to occur. That's our goal. That's who we've called to become.